I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Ooh, hello! And welcome to the Leaves of Glen Mansion. It's a fun little bit where I pretend to live in a mansion and not just recording in my basement. This is where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. This uh, week, we're going to read... We're going to start reading A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, a guy who takes a short story and makes it hundreds of pages. Is it a short story anymore if it's hundreds of pages? It's probably not. About the author, Charles Dickens, well, he was born the 7th of February, 1812, and died the 9th of June, 1870. Had a good run. English writer and social critic, he created one of the world's best-known fictional characters and is regarded by many as the greatest novelist of the Victorian era. Oh, he, his works enjoyed unprecedented popularity during his lifetime, and the 20th century critics and scholars have recognized him as a literary genius, and his novels burp, and short stories were widely read today. Uh, do you want to learn a fun fact about him? i got to scroll down and find it. I've read this before, but it's so horrible that I need to read it again. Oh, oh! Do you, do you like A Christmas Carol? Would you like to learn more about the guy who wrote the thing you love so much? Sure. If you've ever read Oliver Twist or David Copperfield, you might get the impression that Charles Dickens was an all-around awesome guy. And in some ways, uh, the Victorian writer was an incredibly uh, caring man. For 12 years, he ran a home for prostitutes hoping for a new beginning. And his novels also helped uh, start a conversation about life of uh, children working in factories. But while Dickens had a soft spot for orphan kids, he wasn't so concerned about his own children. His oldest son actually once said that the boys and girls in Dickens' books were much more real to him at times than we were. However, while Dickens wasn't a great dad, uh, and he might have been the world's worst husband, Dickens had ten children with his wife, Catherine, and eventually the author got tired of his bride. The life of Victorian women wasn't easy, and after having so many kids, Catherine was incredibly tired and overweight. And so the 45-year-old Dickens started an affair with an 18-year-old actress named Ellen Turnin, and Dickens had a daughter uh, the same age as the new mistress, and he kept Turnin stashed away in various houses where he'd secretly visit her. Uh, it's likely that he, uh, they even had a child together that soon died. Dickens soon decided that he didn't want to be with his wife anymore, but instead of just divorcing her, he launched a major smear campaign, uh, unfairly attacking her in the press. Oh, he published a letter in a newspaper criticizing her mothering skills. Say He published a letter in a newspaper with his name on it. I, Charles Dickens, don't like her mothering skills. Saying that uh, she didn't love her kids and that they didn't love her, which is completely untrue. Even worse, Dickens got a complete custody of his kids. Father's always got the children during the Victorian times, and he refused to let them see their mom on a regular basis. It's kind of shocking to know the same guy who wrote a Christmas carol could be so cruel, which proves that just because you write awesome books, this is grunge.com, that's why they keep saying awesome all the time, that doesn't mean you're not a real dick ends. <laughs> I read this 
last time when I was running out of stuff in the last book, uh, I think Judgment on Janice, so I read this, and I, they made the dick ends joke, and I never get tired of that. I think it's pretty good. Oh, God, there's still a lot of room left before the uh, clock strikes. Hey, what's going on in my life? Um, I recorded... Uh, a Christmas Carol with uh, our own version of A Christmas Carol with a bunch of people on the internet. And uh, and it was a lot of fun. Turned out really good. Weird how smoothly it went and how no one got mad about something and nobody uh, nobody cried. It was kind of nice to just have a podcast where nobody cried. Uh, and so we put that up and, uh, oh boy, it's going gangbusters. Oh boy, do people love uh, the idea of a Christmas carol. I'm sure people stumbled across our episode of uh, the Christmas carol and thought, oh, oh, I'd love to listen to a podcast about a Christmas carol, and it has nothing to do with a Christmas carol. It's just Popeyes, uh, Popeyes and ghosts that refuse to say they're from Christmas, uh, showing up and, you know, whatever. Uh, and so, uh, but that's been going good. Beyond that, I don't know, work. Work sucks. Uh, I've got uh, kids. Oh, thank God, I have nothing to say. Okay, well, with that, why don't we dive into the story? Stave one. Marley's ghost. Marley was dead to begin with. Oh, there's no doubt uh, whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, uh, the clerk, the uh, undertaker, and the chief mourner. But You just got a person whose job is to mourn, and he's like the chief of all the other mourners? Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he put on his hand to. Old Marley was dead as a doornail. Mind, I don't mean to say that I know, or of my own knowledge, what there is particularly dead about a doornail. I might have uh, been inclined myself to regard a coffin nail eh, as the deadliest piece of ironmongery in the trade, but the wisdom of our ancestors is in the simile. And, uh, and my unhallowed hands shall not disturb it, or uh, the country's done for. You will, therefore, permit me to repeat emphatically that Marley was as dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead, question mark. Ah, of course he did. Uh, how would it be otherwise? Scrooge and he were partners for I don't know how many years, and Scrooge was his sole executor, uh, ex- executor, not executor, that'd be weird, his sole administer, his sole assign, his sole residentiary legatee, and his sole friend, his sole mourner, and even Scrooge was not so dreadfully cut up by the sad event, but that he was an excellent man of business. On the very day of the funeral, and solemnize it with an undoubted bargain. The mention of Marley's funeral brings me back uh, to the point to start from. Oh, there's no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story I am going to relate. Oh, God, he's not even started yet. If we have not perfectly convinced by Hamlet's father died before the play began, there will be nothing more remarkable in this taking of a stroll at night in an easterly wind upon his own ramparts uh, than there would be in any other middle-aged gentleman rashly turning out after dark in a breezy spot, say St. Paul's Churchyard, for the instance literally to astonish his son's weak mind. 
Scrooge, I never painted out an old Marley's name, and there it stood, years afterwards, above the warehouse door, Scrooge and Marley. All the firm had been known as Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes uh, uh, people new to the business called Scrooge, Scrooge, and sometimes uh, Marley. But he answered to both names. It was all the same to him. Oh, oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the, at the grindstone. Scrooge, exclamation point, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous, old sinner, hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire, secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. Ah, the cold within him froze his old features and nipped <laughs> his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his uh, burp gait, uh, made his eyes red and his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his gathering voice. A frosty rhyme was on his head, and on his eyebrows and his wiry chin, he carried his own low temperature always about with him. He iced his office in the dog days and didn't thaw it uh, one degree at Christmas. External heat and cold had little influence on Scrooge. No warmth could warm, no wintry weather chill him. No wind that blew was bitterer than he. No falling snow was more intent upon its purpose. No pelting rain less open to its entreaty. Oh, foul weather didn't know where to have him. Uh, the heaviest rain and snow and hail and sleet uh, could boast of the advantage over him in only one respect. They often, quote, came down handsomely, and Scrooge never did. Nah, never ever stopped him in the street to say with, uh, with gladsome looks. What the hell's gladsome? I'm using the Kindle again so I can actually look up words. Go on. Look up gladsome. Uh, gladsome. Having a cheerful, joyful disposition. All right, whatever. With gladsome looks. Oh, my dear Scrooge, how are you? Eh? Uh, when will you come to see me? Uh, no beggars implored him to bestow a trifle. No children asked him what, what it was o'clock. No man or woman uh, ever once in all his life inquired the way to such and such a place of Scrooge. Even the blind men's dogs appeared to know him, and when they saw him coming, I uh, would tug on their owners into the doorways and up the courts, and then they would wag their tails as though they had said, I know I is all better than the evil eye, dark master. <coughs> I'm keeping that in the show. But what did Scrooge care? Oh, it was the very thing he liked. To edge his way along the crowded paths of life, warning all human sympathy uh, to keep its distance, uh, was what the knowing one calls nuts to Scrooge. <laughs> nuts to Scrooge. I wonder, I should look up the term nuts, where they say, ah, nuts to your auntie, or nuts to you. Uh, I should look that up. Does it just mean fuck you? I uh, want to know what that, exactly what that's supposed to stand for. Once upon a time of all good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. Ah, it was cold, yeah, bleak, biting weather, uh, foggy withal, and he could hear the people in the court outside go wheezing up and down, beating their hands upon their breasts, and stamping their feet upon the pavement stones to warm them. The city clocks had only just gone three, but it was uh, quite dark already, and it had not been light all day. All the candles were flaring in the windows of the neighboring offices, like ruddy smears upon the palpable brown air, and the fog, the fog came pouring in at every chink and keyhole, and it was so dense without that, although the court was of the narrowest, the houses opposite were just phantoms. Oh, to see the dingy cloud come drooping down, obscuring everything. One might have thought that nature lived hard, and by was uh, brewing on a large scale. 
Well, the door to Scrooge's counting house was open. Ah, that might keep his eye upon the clerk, who in the dismal little cell beyond, a sort of, a sort of tank, was copying letters. Scrooge had a very small fire. Oh, but the clerk's fire was so much uh, very uh, smaller uh, that it looked like uh, just like one little coal. But he couldn't replenish it, for Scrooge kept the coal box in his own room. And so surely as the clerk came in with the shovel, the master predicted that it would be uh, necessary for them to part. Wherefore, the clerk put on his white comforter and tried to warm himself at the candle. In which effort, not being a man of strong imagination, he failed. Uh, a Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you, cried a cheerful voice. It was the voice of Scrooge's nephew, Oh, oh who came upon him so quickly that his uh, first intention was that he had had to approach. Oh, bah, said Scrooge. Humbug. What is humbug supposed to mean? Well, thank God for the Kindle. I'm going to look up if humbug's actually a term before he made this up in the book. Descriptive of false talk behavior, his comments are sheer humbug. Okay. A hard candy, especially one flavored with peppermint. Nah, well. Uh, he had so heated himself with rapid walking in the fog and frost, his nephew of Scrooge, that he was all in a glow, and his face was ruddy and handsome, and his eyes sparkled, mm, yes, and his breath smoke again. Oh, yeah, a Christmas, a humbug, Uncle, said Scrooge's nephew. Oh, you don't mean that, I'm sure. Oh, I do, said Scrooge. Merry Christmas, and what right have you to be merry? And what reason have you to be merry? You're, you're poor enough. Well, come then, returned the nephew gaily. Oh, what right do you have to be dismal? And what reason do you have to be morose? Oh, you're, you're rich enough. Scrooge, having no better answer ready on the spur of the moment, said, Bah, again, and followed it up with a humbug. Well, don't be cross, Uncle, said the nephew. And then there's an illustration of them talking. That's annoying. What else can I be, returned the uncle. When I live in such a world of fools as this, Merry Christmas, out upon a Merry Christmas. What Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money, a time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer, a time for balancing your books and having every item in M-M dash uh, through a round dozen of months presented dead against you. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, if I could uh, work my will, said Scrooge indignantly, every idiot who goes about with, with Merry Christmas on his lips should, should be boiled, huh? Boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his, uh, through his heart. Yeah, he should, exclamation point. Uncle, pleaded the nephew. Nephew, returned the uncle sternly. Keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Nah, keep it, repeated Scrooge's nephew. But you don't keep it. Well, let me leave it alone then, said Scrooge. Much good may it do you. Much good has it ever done you. Well, there are many things for which I might have derived good by which I have not profited, I dare say, returned the nephew. Christmas! Among the rest, but I am sure I have always thought of Christmas time when it has come round, apart from the veneration due to its sacred name and origin. If anything belonging to it can be kept apart from that, oh, it's a, it's a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. The only time I know of in a long calendar year when a, when a man and a woman seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they really were fellow passengers to the grave, hmm? And not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. And therefore, Uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good. And it will uh, do me good. And I say, I say, uh... God bless it. 
Well, the clerk in the, the clerk in the tank had voluntarily applauded, becoming immediately sensible of the impropriety. He poked the fire and extinguished the last frail spark forever. Ah, uh, they let me hear another sound from you," said Scrooge. "And you'll keep your Christmas by by losing your situation, eh? Ah, oh, you're quite quite a powerful speaker, sir," he added, turning to his nephew. "I wonder if you don't go into." Parliament. <laughs> oh, don't be angry, Uncle. Come, dine with us tomorrow. Scrooge said that he would see him. That's a big, long M-dash. That's like five M-dashes. Yes, indeed he did. He went to the whole length of the expression and said that he would see him in that extremity first. Yeah, but why, said Scrooge's nephew. Uh, why? Why'd you get married, said Scrooge. Yeah, because I fell, I fell in love. "'Because he fell in love,' growled Scrooge, "'as if he were the only one thing in the world "'more ridiculous than a Merry Christmas. "'Well, good afternoon. "'Nay, uh, Uncle, but you never came to see me before that happened. "'Why give it a reason as for not coming now?' "'Good afternoon,' said Scrooge. "'I want nothing from you, and I ask nothing of you. "'Why can't we be friends?' "'Good afternoon,' said Scrooge. "'I am sorry with all my heart to find you so resolute. "'We've, uh, we've never had a quarrel uh, to which I have been a party, "'but I have made the trial an homage to Christmas, "'and I will keep my Christmas humor to the last. "'So a Merry Christmas, Uncle. "'Good afternoon,' said Scrooge. "'And a Happy New Year.' Good afternoon, said Scrooge. Well, his nephew left the room without an angry word, notwithstanding, and that's all one word. That's really weird to see that. I guess that's probably the way you're supposed to do that. Notwithstanding, all one word. Wow, that's weird to look at. Is it really spelled that way? Thank God for the Kindle. No more paper books for me. Notwithstanding. Wow, that actually is supposed to be just one word. I don't know why that's blowing my mind right now. I guess I've just never seen it in print before. He stopped at the outer door to bestow the greetings of the season on the clerk, who, cold as he was, was warmer than Scrooge, for he returned them cordially. Well, here's another fellow, muttered Scrooge, who overheard him. Oh, my clerk, with 15 shillings a week, and a wife, and a family. Talking about a, talking about Merry Christmas, I've retired to Bedlam. This lunatic in letting Scrooge's nephew out, had let two other people in. Ah, oh, they were portly gentlemen, bleh, pleasant to behold, and now stood with their hats off in Scrooge's office. Oh, they, they had books and papers eh, in their hands and bowed to him. Scrooge and Marley's, I believe, said one of the gentlemen, referring to the list. I have the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge, or Mr. Marley. Uh, Mr. Marley's been dead these seven years, Scrooge replied. Uh, he died... He died seven years ago, uh, this very night. Well, we have, that's a weird thing to say to a complete stranger. Well, we have no doubt this liberality is well represented by our surviving partner, said the gentleman, presenting his credentials. That was, certainly was, for they had been two kindred spirits, and at the ominous word liberality, uh, Scrooge frowned and shook his head and handed the credentials back. At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, said the gentleman, taking up his pen, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute, well, who, who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of uh, common necessities, like uh, hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts, sir. And are there, are there, are there no prisons? asked Scrooge. Why, well, Plenty of prisons, said the gentleman, laying down the pen again. And, uh, and the union workhouses, demanded Scrooge. Are they still in operation? They are, they are, 
"'Still,' returned the gentleman, "'I wish you could say that they were not. Well, "'And the treadmill of the poor law are in full vigor, then?' said Scrooge. Uh, "'Both very busy, sir.' "'No, and I was afraid that from what you said at first "'that something had uh, occurred to stop them in their useful course,' said Scrooge, "'and I'm very glad to hear it. "'Under the impression that they scarcely furnish Christian cheer of mind "'or body of the multitude,' returned the gentleman, "'a few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat.' And, uh, and, and, and drink and means of warmth. Uh, we chose this time because it's a time of all others when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. Oh, what shall I, what shall I put you down for? Nothing, Scrooge replied. Uh, do you wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone, said Scrooge. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't, uh, I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. Eh? And I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. Eh, the costs enough, and those are badly off must go there. Well, many can't go there, and many would rather die. Well, if they'd rather die, said Scrooge, and they had better do it, and decrease the surplus population. Besides, excuse me, I don't know that. But you might know it, observed the gentleman. Well, it's not my business, Scrooge returned. Oh, it's enough for a man to understand his own business, and not to interfere with the others. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Well, seeing clearly that it would be useless to pursue their point, the gentleman withdrew, and Scrooge resumed his, uh, resumed his labors with an improved opinion of himself. Oh, in more f- a facetious temper than was usual with him. And, me- and meanwhile, uh, the fog and darkness, oh, it thickened so that people ran about with flaring links, proffering their services to go before the horses and carriages and conduct them on their way. And the ancient tower of a church, whose gruff old bell was always peeping, Peeping slyly down at Scrooge, uh, out of a gothic window in the wall, became invisible and struck the hours and quarters in the clouds with tremulous, I could say it, with tremulous vibrations afterwards, as if its teeth were chattering and its frozen head up there. And the cold became intense. In the main street at the court of the court, some laborers were repairing the gas pipes and had lighted a great fire in a brazier, a brazier. Fine, whatever, I wish it was a brazier, round which a party of ragged men and boys were gathered, warming their hands and winking their eyes before the blaze and rapture. All oh, the water plug being left in solitude. Oh, it's overflowing, suddenly congealed and turned into a misanthropic ice. Oh, the, the brightness of the shops, the, where holly, sprigs, and berries crackled in the lamp heat of the windows, made pale faces ruddy as they passed. And, and poulterers uh, and grocers' trades became a splendid joke, a, uh, a glorious pageant with which it was next to impossible to believe that such dull principles as a, as bargain and sale had anything to do, the Lord Mayor in the stronghold of the mighty mansion house gave orders to the fifty cooks and butlers to keep Christmas as the Lord Mayor's household should. And even a, even a little tailor, the little tailor whom he had fined five shillings the previous Monday for being drunk and bloodthirsty in the streets, uh, stirred up tomorrow's pudding in his garret. And he had a, a lean wife, and the baby sallied out to buy beef. Foggier yet, and colder, eh? piercing, searching, biting cold. If the good St. Dustin had but nipped the evil spirit's nose with a touch of such weather as that, instead of using his familiar weapons, then indeed he would have roared to 
Oh, oh, to lusty purpose. Uh, the owner of one scant young nose, gnawed and numbed by the hungry cold as bones are gnawed by dogs, stooped down at Scrooge's keyhole to regale him with the Christmas care. By the uh, first, the sound of... I God bless you, merry gentlemen. You may nothing, you may dismay. I said that weird. I read that completely wrong, but I'm still moving forward. I'm always going to push on. Uh, Scrooge sees the ruler with such uh, burp energy of action that the singer fled in terror, uh, leaving the keyhole to the fog and even more congenial frost. At length, the hour of shutting up in County House arrived. With an ill will, Scrooge dismounted from his stool and tactically admitted the fact to the expected clerk in the tank, who had instantly snuffed his candle out and put on his hat. Well, you'll, you'll want all day tomorrow, I suppose, said Scrooge. Uh, if quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient, said Scrooge, and it's not fair. If I were to stop half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used. Uh, I'll be bound... Well, the clerk smiled faintly. And yet, said Scrooge, you don't think me ill use when I pay a day's wages for no work. The clerk observed that it was only once a year. A poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of uh, December, said Scrooge, butting his coat right up to his chin. Uh, but I suppose you, you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier next morning. The clerk promised that he would, and Scrooge walked out with a growl, and the office was closed in a twinkling, and the clerk with the long ends of his white comforter dangling below his waist, for he boasted no great coat, went down a slide on Cornhill, and the end of the lane of boys twenty times in honor of his being a Christmas Eve, and then he, he ran home to Camden Town as, as hard as he could pelt to play at Blind Man's Bluff. Uh, yes, yes. Scrooge Scrooge took his melancholy dinner to his usual melancholy tavern, and having read all the newspapers and beguiled the rest of the evening with the banker's book, uh, went home to bed, and he lived in chambers which had once belonged to his deceased partner. Uh, they were a gloomy suite of rooms, a lowering pile of building up in a yard where it had uh, so little business to be, and one could scarcely help fancying it, must have uh, run there when it was a young house, playing at hide-and-seek with other houses, and had forgotten its way about again. Oh, it's, an, it's old enough now, and dreary enough, for nobody lived in it but Scrooge. The other rooms being all let out as offices, the yard was so dark that even Scrooge, who knew his every stone, was fain to grope with his hands. And the fog and frost so hung about the black old gateway of the house that it seemed as if the genius of the weather sat in mournful meditation on the threshold. Now it is a fact that there was nothing at all peculiar, er, particular about the knocker on the door. Except that it was very large. Uh, it's also the fact that Scrooge had seen it night and morning during his whole residence in that place, and also that Scrooge had as little of what is called fancy about him as any man in the city of London, even including, eh, which is a bold word, eh, the corporation, aldermen, and the livery. Uh, let it also be borne in mind that Scrooge had not bestowed uh, one thought on Marley since his last mention in the seven years dead partner that afternoon. And then let any man explain it to me if he can. Now it happened that Scrooge, having his key and lock in the door, saw the knocker without any undergoing any intermediate process of change. Not a knocker, but Marley's face. 
Well, that seems as good a point of any to take a little break. Uh, why don't we go up to the master bedroom where we can spread out on my silken sheets and I'll, I'll read to you uh, the latest upcoming romance novels from Penguin Random House Books. Boy, I can't wait to see what you're wearing. Oh, 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 look at you. You're dressed like a, like a Tinkerbell. Oh, that's fantastic. You're wearing a little green suit, uh, real, real, real short skirt. Oh, yeah, you got little wings on. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, yeah, I am very worked into a lather right now. You are highly attractive here in my master romance bedroom. Oh, yeah. Oh, you left a little book on my bed. It's called the, what's that, Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies, book one of the Emily Wilde series by Heather Fawcett. Well, that's fine. Your outfit is so tantalizing that I don't mind reading this for the first time ever. Well, let's find out. About Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies, a curmudgeonly professor journeys to a small town in the far north to study fairy folklore, and discovers dark fey magic, friendship, and love in the start of a heartwarming and enchanting new fantasy series. So endlessly enchanting, so rich and compassionate and wise that you walk away half in 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 sorcelled. In sorcelled. E-N-S-O-R-C-E-L-L-E-D. In sorcelled. Well, that's from Alyssa Albert, author of A Hazel Word, whoever the heck that is. Cambridge professor Emily Wilde is good at many things. Ah, she's the foremost expert in the study of fairies. Ah, she's a, she's a genius scholar and a meticulous researcher who's writing the world's first encyclopedia of fairy lore. And Emily Wilde is, is not good at people, in parentheses, uh, but could make small talk at a party or even get invited to one. And she prefers the company of her books, her dog, Shadow, and the fair folk of other people. So, when she arrives at the Hardscrabble Village in Havernesnick, Harafsnick, I have no idea how to pronounce that. I'm not going to bother spelling it out either. I don't think anyone could pronounce that horse crap that was just put in front of me. Emily has no intention of befriending the gruff townsfolk, nor does she care to spend time with another our new arrival, her dashing and insufferably handsome academic rival, Wendell Bambly. Bamblebly. God, I hate what this, why, what's going on with the way this person writes. Who manages to charm the townsfolk, muddle Emily's research, and utterly confound and frustrate her. But as Emily gets closer and closer to uncovering the secrets of a hidden ones, the most elusive of all fairies, lurking in the shadowy forest outside the town, oh, oh, she also finds herself on the trail of another mystery, who is Wendell Bamblebee. And what does he really want? To find the answer, she'll have to unlock the greatest mystery of all. Her heart! Well, with that, uh, that's Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies, book one of the Family Wilde series by Heather Fawcett. Uh, it's categories fairy tales and romance. Ugh. It's a hardcover for 28 bucks. You can get it on January 10th at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Bookshop.org, Hudson Booksellers, IndieBound, Powell's Target, and Walmart. Well, with that, uh, I guess we should just... Hey, I mean, your outfit's still pretty cute, but I'm 
Uh, bored. I'm gonna go back downstairs. You can you can be down there if you want. I'll just keep reading whether you're there or not. There you go. Y'all settled? I mean, yeah, you look hot. Let's just finish reading the book. Marley's face. It was not in impenetrable shadow as the other objects in the yard were, but had a dismal light about it. Like a, like a, oh, I don't know, like a bad lobster in a dark cellar. That was weird. It was not angry or ferocious, but looked as uh, at Scrooge as Marley used to look, with ghostly spectacles turned up at its ghostly forehead. The hair eh, was curiously stirred, as if by breath of hot air, and though the eyes were wide open, they were perfectly motionless. That and its livid color made it horrible, but its horror seemed to be in spite of the face and beyond its control rather than a part of its own expression. As Scrooge looked fixedly at the phenomenon, it was a knocker again. To say that he was not startled or that the blood was not conscious of a terrible sensation to which he had been a stranger from infancy would be untrue, yeah, but he had put his hand upon the key he had relinquished, turned it sturdily, walked in and lighted his candle. He, in uh, italics, did pause with a, with a moment's his resolution before he shut the door. And he did look cautiously behind it first, as if he had half expected it to be terrified with the sight of Marley's pigtail sticking under the hall. But there was nothing on the back of that door except the screws and the, and the nuts that held the knocker on. So he said, poo-poo, and closed it with a bang. <laughs> The sound resounded through the house like thunder. Every room above and every cask in the wine merchant cellars below appeared to have a, a separate peal of echoes of its own. Scrooge was not a man uh, to be frightened by echoes. Well, he fastened the door and walked across the hall and up the stairs, slowly to trimming his candle as he went. You may talk vaguely about driving a coach and, uh, and six up a good old flight of stairs or through a, uh, a bad young act apartment, but I mean to say that you might have got a hearse up that staircase and taken it broadwise with the splinter bar towards the wall and the door towards the ball balustrades. And, uh, what's a balustrade? I mean, I've heard that word before. Let's just look it up. Thank God I'm using the Kindle again. Uh, it's a railing supported by balustraders. Whatever. Moving on. And done it easy. Oh, there's plenty of width for that. And room to spare, which is perhaps the reason why Scrooge thought he saw a locomotive hearse going on before him in the gloom. Half a dozen gas lamps out of the street wouldn't have lighted the entry too well. And so you may suppose that it was pretty dark with Scrooge's dip. Up, Scrooge went. Oh, not carrying a button for that. Darkness is cheap, and Scrooge liked it. But before he shut his heavy door, he walked through his rooms to see that all was right. He had just enough recollection of the face to desire to do that. Sitting room. Bedroom. Lumber room. All is as they should be. Nobody under the table. Nobody under the sofa. A small fire in the grate. Spoon and basin ready. And the little saucepan of gruel. Mm, Scrooge had a cold upon his head. Upon the hob. Nobody under the bed. Nobody in the closet. Nobody in his dressing gown. Which was hanging up in a suspicious attitude against the wall. Lumber room as usual. Old fire guard, old shoes, two fish baskets, washing stand on, uh, oh, three legs, and a poker. Quite satisfied, 
he closed the door and locked himself in, double-locked himself in, as he was not his custom, thus secured against surprise, and he took off his cravat, and put in his dressing gown and slippers, and his nightcap, and sat down before the fire to take his gruel. Always a, always a very long fire indeed, nothing on such a bitter night. He was obliged to sit close to it, and brood over it, before he could extract the, the least sensation of warmth from such a handful of fuel. Oh, the fireplace was an old one built by some Dutch merchant long ago and paved all around with quaint Dutch tiles designed to illustrate the scriptures. There were Cain's eh, and Abel's, Pharaoh's daughters, queens of Sheba, angelic messengers descending through the air on clouds like, like feather beds, Abraham's, uh, Belthazar's apostles putting off to sea in butter boats. Hundreds of figures to attract his thoughts, and yet that face of Marley, oh, seven years dead, came like the ancient prophet's rod and swallowed up the whole. If, if each smooth tile had been a blank at first, with power to shape some picture on its surface from the disjointed fragments of his thoughts, oh, there would have been a copy of old Marley's head on every one. I, I, I humbug, said Scrooge, and walked across the room. After several turns, he sat down again, and he threw his head back to the chair. All his glance happened to rest upon a bell, a disused bell that hung in the room and communicated, for some purpose now forgotten, with a chamber in its highest story of the buildings. It was, a, it was with a great astonishment and a strange, inexplicable dread that as he looked, he saw this bell begin to swing. Oh, it swung so softly in the outset that it scarcely made a sound, but soon it rang out loudly, and so did every bell in the house. Oh, this, oh, this might have lasted half a minute, uh, or, or a minute, but it seemed an hour. The bells ceased as they had begun together. Now they were succeeded by a clanking noise deep down below as if some person were, were dragging a heavy chain over the casks in the wine merchant's cellar. Scrooge then remembered to have heard the ghosts of the haunted houses were described as dragging chains. Thank God he remembered that. Man, if he would have seen uh, any ghost hunting shows in the 2000s, oh, he'd have a lot more to work with. The cellar door flew open with a booming sound and then he heard the noise much louder on the floors below. Then, coming up the stairs... Then, coming straight out, towards his door. It's humbug, uh, <clears throat> still, said Scrooge. I won't believe it. His color changed, though, when, without a pause, it came through the heavy door and passed upon his room before his eyes. Upon his coming in, the dying flame leapt up as though it cried. I know him. Marley's ghost had fell again. The same face, uh, the very same, Marley in his pigtail, usual waistcoat, uh, ooh, tights and boots, yeah, the, the tassels on the ladder, mm, bristling like his pigtail, and his coat skirts, and the hair upon his head. The chain he drew was clasped about the middle, it was long, wound about him like a tail, and it was made of, for Scrooge observed very closely, of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds, and heavy purses wrought in steel. Oh, his body was transparent, so that Scrooge, observing him, burp, had looking through his waistcoat, could uh, see two buttons on his coat behind. Scrooge had often heard it said that Marley had no bowels. Weird. But he had never believed it until now. That's also weird. No, nor did he believe it until now, though he looked the phantom through and through, and he saw it standing before him. 
though he, he felt the chilling influence of its death-cold eyes and marked the very texture of the folded kerchief bound about his head and chin, which the wrapper he had not observed before. He was still incredulous and fought against his senses. Uh, how now, said Scrooge, caustic and cold as ever. Hey, what, do you, what do you want with me? Much, Marley's voice, no doubt about it. Hey, who, who are you? Ask me who I was. Well, who were you then, said Scrooge, raising his voice. You're, you're particular for a shade, he was going to say, to a shade, but uh, substantiated this is more appropriate. In life, I was your partner, uh, Jacob Marley. Now, can you... Can you sit down? asked Scrooge, looking doubtfully at him. I can. Do it then. Scrooge asked the question because he didn't know whether a ghost so transparent might find himself in a condition to take a chair and felt that, in the event of its being impossible, it might involve the necessity of of an embarrassing explanation. But the ghost sat down on the opposite side of the fireplace as if he were quite used to it. "'You don't believe me,' observed the ghost. "'I don't,' said Scrooge. "'Well, what evidence would you have of my reality beyond that of your own senses?' "'I don't know,' said Scrooge. "'Well, why don't you doubt your senses?' "'Because,' said Scrooge, "'a little thing affects them. "'A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheats.' "'Oh, you may be an undigested bit of beef, eh? "'a blot of a <laughs> mustard, a crumb of cheese, "'a fragment of an underdone potato. "'But there's more of gravy than of grave about you, <laughs> "'whatever you are.' "'Scrooge was not much in the habit of crack jokes, "'nor did he feel in his heart by any means waggish them. "'The truth is that he tried to be smart "'as a means of distracting his own attention "'and keeping down his terror.' for the specter's voice disturbed the very marrow in his bones. To sit, staring at those fixed glazed eyes in silence uh, for a moment, would play, Scrooge felt, at the very deuce uh, with him, his, his poops. There was something very awful, too, in the specter's being provided with an infernal atmosphere of his own. Scrooge could not feel it himself. Oh, but this was clearly the case, for though the ghost sat perfectly motionless, it's hair, eh? And skirts and, uh, and tassels were still agitated by uh, the hot vapor from the oven. Uh, you, you see this toothpick, said Scrooge, returning quickly to the charge for the reason just assigned and wishing, though it were only for a second, to divert the vision's stony gaze from himself. I do, replied the ghost. Burp. You're not uh, looking at it, said Scrooge. Well, but I see it, said the ghost, notwithstanding. Again, notwithstanding is one word. That's mind-blowing to me. I don't know why it is, but it is. I've never seen it on paper before until this book. Well, returned Scrooge, I have but to sallow this and be for the rest of my days persecuted by a legion of goblins, all of my own creation. Humbug, I tell you. Hmm? Uh, <clears throat> humbug. At this, the spirit raised a frightful cry and shook his chain with a dismal and appalling noise that the Scrooge held on tight to his chair to save himself from falling into a swoon. But how much greater was this horror uh, than when the phantom, taking off his bandage around his head, as if it were to warm or to wear indoors, uh, its lower jaw dropped down upon his breast. Ah, Scrooge fell upon his knees and clasped his hands before his face. Mercy, he said. Oh, uh, dreadful apparition. Why do you trouble me? "'Man of worldly mind,' replied the ghost, "'do you believe in me or not?' "'I do,' said Scrooge. "'I must 
But why do spirits walk the earth? And why, uh, where do they come from? It is required of every man, the ghost returned, that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. Oh, it is, it is doomed to wander through the world. Oh, oh, woe is me and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth and turned to happiness. Again, the specter raised a cry and shook its chain and wrung its shadowy hands. Ah, oh, yeah, you are fettered, said Scrooge, trembling. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life, replied the ghost. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on from my own free will, and of my own free will I wore it. It's a pattern strange to you. Scrooge trembled more and more. "'Or would you know,' pursued the ghost, "'the weight and length of this strong coil you bear yourself. "'Oh, it was as full and heavy as long as this, seven Christmas Eves ago. "'You have labored on it since, in this ponderous chain.' "'Scrooge glanced about him in the floor, "'in the exception of finding himself surrounded by some fifty or sixty fathoms of iron cable. "'But the uh, he could see nothing. "'Oh, Jacob,' he said imploringly. "'Oh, Jacob, Marley, tell me more. "'Oh, speak comfort to me, Jacob.' I have none to give, the ghost replied. It comes from other regions, Ebenezer Scrooge, and is conveyed by other ministers to other kinds of men. Nor can I tell you what I would. A very little more is all permitted to me, and I cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot, I cannot linger anywhere. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house. Mark me, in my life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole, and uh, weary journeys lie before me. It was a habit with Scrooge. Whenever he became thoughtful to put his hands in his breeches pockets... Hmm, Pondering on what the ghost had said, he did so now, but without lifting up his eyes or getting off his knees. You must have uh, been very slow about it, Jacob, Scrooge observed in a businesslike manner, uh, though with humility and deference. Slow, the ghost repeated. Seven years dead, mused Scrooge, and traveling all the time. Uh, the whole time, said the ghost. No rest, no peace, incessant torture of remorse. You travel fast, said Scrooge. On the wings of the wind, replied the ghost. Well, you might have got over a great quantity of ground in seven years, said Scrooge. The ghost, on hearing this, set up another cry and clanked his chain so hideously in the dead silence of the night that the ward would have been justified in indicting him for its nuisance. Oh, oh, captive bound and double iron, cried the phantom, not to know that the ages of incessant labor by immortal creatures for this earth must pass into eternity before the good of which is susceptible is all developed. Not to know that any Christian spirit working kindly in this little sphere, wherever it may be, will find its mortal life too short for its vast means of usefulness. Not to, not to know... Uh, that no space of regrets can make amends for one's life opportunities misused. Uh, yet such as was I, uh, oh, such was I. Uh, but but you're, always a, you're always a good man of business, Jacob, faltered Scrooge, who now began to apply this to himself. Business, cried the ghost, wringing his hands again. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, <clears throat> mercy forbearance, eh, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. It held up its chain at arm's length 
as if it were the cause of all of its unraveling and unavailing grief, and flung it heavily upon the ground. At this time of the rolling year, the specter said, I suffer most. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down, and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode? Oh, where were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? Scrooge was very much dismayed to hear the specter going on at uh, this rate. He began, he began to uh, quake exceedingly. Hear me, cried the ghost. My time is nearly gone. I will, said Scrooge. But don't be hard upon me. Don't be, don't be flowery, Jacob. Pray. Well, how is it that I appear before you in any shape that you can see? I may not tell. I have sat invisible beside you many, many a day. Oh, he's probably watched him masturbate. That's creepy. It was not an agreeable idea. Scrooge shivered and wiped the perspiration from his brow. That is no light part of my penance, pursued the ghost. I am here tonight to warn you that you may yet chance uh, to hope of escaping my fate, a chance and hope of my procuring Ebenezer. Well, you're always a good friend to me, said Scrooge. Thank ye. That's thank with two E's. You will be haunted, resumed the ghost, by three spirits. Scrooge's countenance fell almost as low as the ghost had done. Is that uh, the chance that you hope you mentioned, Jacob? He demanded in a faltering voice. It is. I, Dash, I think I'd rather not, said Scrooge. Without their visits, said the ghost, you cannot escape or hope to shun the path which I tread. Expect that the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I uh, take them all at once and have it over, Jacob? Hinted Scrooge. Expect the second on the next night of the same hour. The third upon the next night when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to vibrate. Uh, lo, look to me no more, and look that, uh, for your own sake, you remember what has passed between us. When it had said these words, the specter took its wrapper from his table and bound it round his head as before. Scrooge knew that this man, by the smart sound of the teeth made in the jaws, were brought together by the bandage. He ventured to raise his eyes again and found his supernatural visitor confronting him with an erect attitude. <laughs> with his chain wound over and about its arm, the apparition walked backward from him, and at the very step it took, the window raised itself a little to that, and so the specter reached it, so it was wide open, and he beckoned Scrooge to approach, which he did, and when they, when they were within two paces of each other, Marley's ghost held up its hand, warning him to come no nearer. Scrooge stopped. Then why, why bring him over? What the hell was the point of all that? Not so much in obedience as in surprise and fear, for on the raising of his hand he became sensible of confused noises in the air, incoherent sounds of lamentation and regret, wailings, inexpressibly sorrowful in a self-accusatory. Oh, the specter, after listening for a moment, joined in the mournful dirge and floated out upon on the bleak, dark night. Scrooge followed to the window, desperate in his curiosity, and he looked out. The air was filled with phantoms, wandering hither and thither in restless haste, and the moaning that they went, oh, every one of them wore chains, like Marley's ghost, some few, they might be guilty governments, were uh, linked together. 
None were free. Many had been personally known to Scrooge in their lives. He had seen quite familiar with one of the old ghosts in a white waistcoat with a monstrous iron safe attached to his ankle, who cried piteously at being unable to assist a wretched woman with an infant whom it saw below upon a doorstep. The misery eh, with them was all uh, clearly that they, they sought to interfere for good in human matters and had lost the power forever. Whether these creatures faded into the mist or mist and shrouded them, he could not tell, but they and their spirit voices faded together, and the night became as it had been when he walked home. Oh, Scrooge closed the window and examined the door by which the ghost had entered. It was double-locked, as he had locked it with his own hands. Oh, and the bolts were undisturbed, and he tried to say, uh, humbug, but stopped at the first syllable. So they'd just be, huh? Maybe hum, and being from the emotion he had undergone, or the fatigues of the of the day, or his glimpse of the invisible world, or the or the dull conversation with the ghost, or the lateness of the hour, much in need of repose, went straight to bed without undressing, and fell asleep upon the instant. Well, with that, uh, why don't we go down to the library and review what the hell we just read? Well, there you are. Let's get nice and settled. Um, what do we, uh, what do we learn here? Recap. Uh, basically, we learn about Scrooge and uh, what's his name that works for him. Uh, they, ugh, I forgot about that. They, uh, they, they work in a uh, in a really crappy place where you only have candles. I guess that's normal for back then. Can you imagine going to the office and when you're done working, when you're done working, you actually have to blow out a candle and it's basically just dark in the room. It's not, like, well-lit everywhere. It's just one spot that you're working next to. Imagine using a goddamn typewriter to type up all your shit. Can you imagine a spreadsheet on a typewriter? I can't. And it's got to be loud, loud all the time. You see movies where people are supposed to be typing on typewriters. And like, oh, I'm going to write tonight. I'm going to spend all night writing. But they got neighbors, and the neighbors can hear the bang, bang, bang the entire time. So, uh, so um... Anyways, uh, it's cold, and there's just one candle that he's literally trying to warm himself against. That's sad. And then a nephew comes in and goes, I, I just think you're a great guy. Every Christmas, I try to be nice to you. And he goes, ah, fuck off. And so then finally he goes home, and he sees uh, Marley. And Marley's uh, carried around the chains. I've never actually read this story. I've only ever seen, like, plays or on TV or versions of it. And uh, I didn't know that there, there's a scene where also you see all these ghosts desperately trying to help humans because it's the only way to get out of the hell they're living in. But they can't because they're ghosts. Uh, they just float around next to you all the time, just watching you while you're sleeping or masturbating or trying to eat a cheese sandwich. So uh, that was weird. That was a weird little cut that they don't really include in a lot of plays and uh, television versions that I've seen. What's good? Yeah. Dickens is good. He's always good. Uh, he was a horrible person to his wife and children, but he's a good writer. Very easy to read. Just long. Everything he writes is long as hell. What sucks? Everything he writes is long as hell. What do we learn? Uh, there's nuggets in reading the original that you're just not going to see on TV. So that's kind of neat. Uh, so with that, uh, I will be back next week to read more of this story and hopefully get done with it before Christmas.
Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people, not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. We can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, including stuff like gestating the curious mind with my lady friend and also a, a little side project I'm going to be doing with my daughter. Oh, I'm on Instagram, but no one uses that anymore because they all use TikTok. Am I ever going to get on TikTok? No, but if you want to look at my dead Instagram, it's at uh, HouseNuzzle. I also have Twitter, which I use the most, which is also conveniently at HouseNuzzle. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.Nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's got to be one left. 